Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. When I was in, in middle school, we used to collect baseball cards. It was kind of a big deal. I mean, a, a big, big deal. And I remember, I wish I would have brought my collection. Maybe I'll have to show you it. But I found it in, in my closet the other day. And I have all my baseball cards stacked up in like little um, page protectors. So you can sort them all out. And I look through them and I, man, it brought back such great memories. And I got some that are like rookies and some that are good superstars. But the reason why I tell you that is as I go through middle school, there's something about tr- something about collecting cards because the strategy was this. So you could collect cards of your favorite player. You could collect cards of those that were valuable. And the way you understood them to be valuable was this, that you opened up a magazine, and it's called Beckett Magazine. I, I don't know if they still have it around. And you'd search all the way to the back, and you'd go, and you'd look at your year, like 1989, uh, Cal Ripken Jr. Oh, it's worth a $1.50. Right. And so that's how you someone would pay you a dollar fifty for this card. And so we I'd collect them with my friends and we we get to do that. And your strategy is do I get the rookies? Because the rookies could be worth more down the road. Do I end up, you know, getting superstars or or what exactly do I do? And the reason I, I say that is because there's this interesting thing that I didn't really like and I didn't really do it, but when you have baseball cards, you tend to trade. Right, So there was kind of the strategy, not only who you were collecting, but the strategy was, who am I going to trade? Right, So if you had a good player, most likely you would want a good player. You want, you'd want that same trade. Or if you had a, a, a player or a rookie, you want to trade for the same thing. And, and you look at a value. So if my Bo Jackson was worth $2 and your Cal Ripken was worth $2, then it would be a fair trade. And so we go through this whole idea of trading. And, and the thing about me is, is I never traded. Not really, right? Because even though I, 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 you know, I knew a whole bunch about sports and I grew up actually on sports, knowing sports. I can tell you still sports facts. My friend sent me a picture the other day of a pitcher in the 90s and says, Who's it? who is this? I told him exactly who it was and his facts. And he goes, you never cease to amaze me. And so anyways, but the thing is, is I never, ever would trade. And here's why I never traded, because I always felt I get the raw end of the deal. Even though I knew the price, I felt like I get the wrong end of the deal. So I never traded. But when you're talking about uh, about trades, here's the thing about trades. If you're talking about doing it in middle school when you're, you know, trading baseball cards or whatever you tend to trade and people trade stocks today. And the thing is, is that we always want to trade something that is beneficial for us. So if I'm going to exchange something with you, it better be beneficial for me. Now, sometimes we think when we're trading that if I'm going to trade you for something, it's going to be beneficial for you and it will be beneficial for me as well. I mean, that's the ultimate great trade. And if you look in the term and in, in sports world, you see that people make trades all the time. Now, some trades are good and some trades are bad. And, and if you're a fan, you're like, man, that was a bad trade or that was a good trade. And, and so we have this idea that it's beneficial. But when it really comes to life, When you begin to trade for something, you want to trade for something better. You always want to trade for something better. And so when you you get to this point and life is stagnant and life is stale 
and life is just not going at the pace you want it to go, and you might be frustrated with life, you look to upgrade or trade something in your life, right? You want it to be better. And so what happens is, is people get in a relationship and they have partners and they have marriages. And as they're in that for quite some time, they end up realizing the spark goes. Right. And then when the spark goes, the question is, is where do I or how do I get that spark back? And how do I reignite that? So ends up happening that when people are in, you know, a relationship with a partner or they're in a marriage, they, they look around and say, well, this is stagnant. This is not going anywhere. So I need to upgrade or I need to change something. And most oftentimes or not, people tend to go and look and have wandering eyes, as they call them. And they begin to try to upgrade and, and feel if I get, if I just, you know, get rid of him or her and I go and get him or her, then I upgrade, then I'm better off for life. Right. And they end up thinking, well, if I just trade partners, if I just trade wives or husbands, then maybe, you know, my life will be a whole lot better. Maybe they will reignite the spark. But what they don't understand, it's really they're thinking that they're trading for something better and really they're the issue. But in, in, in all of this, it's just not there. It's just life as well. Think about your job. I mean, think about your first job, your second job. Okay. And, and you come to a place in your job and most people do. They come to a place where they're unhappy. And it could be a place where they don't like the boss. They don't like the coworkers. They don't like their job or it's a stepping stone to where they need to go. And so ultimately they're thinking, well, I need to what? Get a new job. I need to upgrade my life. I need to trade what I have now for something better right and it's not just them it's students i mean students when they come into a classroom and they don't like a teacher what do they do they say i wish i could have a different teacher right i don't like this teacher so i wish i could upgrade and get a teacher that everyone's talking about or a teacher i like or a teacher that i can learn from and sometimes they can do it and sometimes they can't but what do they want to do they want to upgrade or trade something for something that is better we have the idea with cars as well right cars think about it you have cars and your car gets old you trade it in we use that term trade i'm going to trade my car in i'm going to sell it or i'm going to trade it in i'm going to get something better and in fact this um you know uh the one thing we do and all of us have this in common is it's not just a teacher and it's not just our job we want to trade our problems a lot of us wish we could trade our problems for something better and when, you know, back just in, on the West Coast and, and one of my friends, we used to stand around and I used to complain. And complaining, as you know, doesn't do any good. But here's what he always said to me. He says, look, this is the thing, Joe. If we all, if we got a bunch of people around and we stood around in a circle and we threw all our problems into the circle, he says, Joe, I guarantee you, you wouldn't want anybody else's problems. You'd go and grab your own problem. Because your problem is not as bad as somebody else's. And so we have this idea, though, that our problems are the worst thing and our problems is something that we carry through life. And we don't really, you know, we, we carry them and we have them and, and we think, well, if I can just get rid of them, if I can trade them for something better. But when you look at everybody else's life, you realize yours is okay. So we go through life like this, and, and I, I call it baggage. And the reason why I do that is because we walk through life with baggage. And, and we walk with through pain. We walk through life with hurt. We walk, walk through life with insecurity. And we walk through life just feeling down and emotionally drained at times. 
And so what we walk through is we walk through this baggage, and I call it the emotional baggage, and we have this heavy suitcase here, and most of us have this heavy suitcase, but what we really want is, this is all of our problems, but what we really want is we want a small bag like this. We want to carry this around because this is much smaller. And these problems are much smaller. I'd rather carry, if I'm going to the airport, I'd rather carry a carry-on than this big luggage here. And so when we walk through life, what happens is, is we, all of us, have this, all of this pain, all of this hurt, and all of this insecurity and anger and bitterness, and we walk around with this baggage. But what we really want is this or nothing at all. It's really what we want. And so how do we do that? I mean, how do you get to a place where you come where you're not walking around with a whole bunch of baggage or even little baggage or no baggage? Well, simple answer is Jesus, right? And that's why we're starting this series. We're starting uh, this series called Get Over It. And over the next few weeks, here's what we're going to discover, that we're going to uncover the problems that you and I have, the baggage that you and I carry that nobody sees, and that there's only one way to get rid of it, and that, in fact, that God uses Jesus to uncover those things in our lives, and ultimately, from us having baggage and being bond, uh, kind of bondaged or to this emotional stuff and this hurt and this pain, Jesus offers freedom and He offers peace. And so we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks and undercover exactly what it is that we have in our suitcase and how Jesus wants to free us from that and remove that from our lives. So the great thing about Jesus, though, is as He came to earth, the, the one interesting thing about Him was the way He taught. Now, if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus kind of, there was a bunch of people that would surround Him, and there was something that they were drawn to, right? And they were drawn because He was magnetic, He was healing people, He was doing such things as that. But the reality is, is He also could teach, and He taught different than anybody else. And what he began to teach, and when people would ask him a question, he wouldn't necessarily just answer the question. Sometimes Jesus would, sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he'd say, hey, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God, or let me tell you about this man who is walking on a road, or let me tell you about this. And he would tell the story, and, and it would provoke thought, and it would provoke conversation among his disciples and among the people who were following him. And he wanted people to think, and then there was times where he got to the end of the disciples, and at the, as the disciples, when they were by themselves, he would sometimes explain it to them. But Jesus is really gifted in his teaching, and, and we're going to pick it up in, in the story today in Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 18, you can turn there, or we, we're going to have it on the screen. But let me tell you a little backdrop of this and what is taking place before we get and drop into our story. So Peter ends up asking a question to Jesus again and says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times. Now he thinks that is like the seven is the number that is, is, is you know, the perfect number. At seven times, is that how many times as, as I do it? And Peter is thinking like you or I would, that we have friends, right, that say they're sorry, and then they go back and they do the same thing again. And they offend you the same way, right? So they say you're sorry, and then they're, you're offended. And then you say sorry, and you're like, well, how many times are you going to say sorry before you actually change, right? So you say you're sorry, but you're not changing. And, and for some, some of us, we get very frustrated with that. And I can tell you, Peter's probably frustrated. He's probably thinking, well, how many times can I tell my friend or whoever is this person, how many times until I can cut him off and say no more? 
Because I know for some of us, what happens is, is when someone says sorry and they don't change, then we go, well, you don't mean it. Right? And then after a while, you just kind of push them off and say, well, you're not just, you're not sorry. So stop saying you're sorry. And we don't want to forgive them. We don't want to bother them. We, nothing. We don't even want to deal with them. So what ends up happening is he has this goal in mind. So how many times, Jesus, if someone's going to offend me, how many times do I have to do this? And so Jesus would respond, and he actually answers this question. And he says this. He says, well, let me tell you what, Peter. It's not just seven times. It is seven times 70 or 490. Now, Peter's like, okay, so I got a little bit more to work with, right? Not just seven But Jesus is not saying, look, at the 439th time when someone doesn't say they're sorry, when they're angry at you, when they hurt you, that you cut them off. He's not saying, well, time's up. You know, forgiveness is uh, limited, so I'm sorry. You can't do that. It's not what he's saying. He's talking about uh, just you forgive the person no matter what. And as he begins to say that, they're kind of confused with the 490. But again, Jesus launches into a story. He launches into a parable. So in Matthew chapter 18, we're going to look at this parable and exactly what Jesus is talking about because, again, he's not rubber stamping a limit on forgiveness. He begins to tell a story in in this parable, and it says this in verse 23. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, therefore, always, if you see the Scripture, let me just give you a hint here. When you look at the Bible and it says, therefore, he's always referring back to what he's just talking about. So whether it's Paul or Jesus. So he says, therefore, in light of my forgiveness, in light of 490 times you're supposed to forgive, let me just tell you the story. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his debt. So Jesus, in fact, is using an illustration of forgiveness, right, to to make this point. He's using the story to point out forgiveness and the limit of forgiveness so as he does this there's this idea that when you forgive someone right that you are releasing debt because when someone has offended you right when someone bothers you what do we think well you owe me you owe me an apology you owe me you know whatever it is because you emotionally damage me you owe me so he's saying forgiveness is kind of this debt debtor relationship and he uses the king, and he uses it in terms that everyone would understand, a debt and debtor relationship. So he, as he begins to talk about this king, he says this king is trying to get his settlement with money. And as he begins to try to get the settlement with his servant, we really understand how big this debt is. So as Matthew begins to point out, and Jesus is trying to point this out, that this debt is astronomical. Let me tell you why. Because when he says a 10,000 bags of gold, okay, 10,000 bags of gold was a lot. It was like 80 pounds of gold. 10 to 12 ounces of gold back then was $350. So I'm not a mathematician, but I can tell you this. It's worth several million dollars. His debt is worth millions of dollars. So he comes to him and the, and the, the king is saying, well, you owe me like several million dollars, and you need to pay me back. So as he does this, again, this is kind of outstanding, and this is Jesus' point. Jesus' point, he wants us to understand how great this debt is. So whether you are reading it or you're in the audience, he wants to understand. 
And so again, he begins to say and understand that this king knows the servant cannot pay this back. The servant knows he can't pay it back. Otherwise, why would he be in this situation? So here's the response that, that the king decides to do. He says, since, in verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So look, we don't know how long this is, is actually happening. We don't know if this servant came to the king and said, look, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back. Right? And for some of us, you know exactly. This is why I don't let people borrow money. I just gift them money. I'll gift you money. I won't let you borrow it. Because here's why. And, and you understand this, and, and the king understood this too, is that when people borrow something from you, they always promise to pay it back. And some pay it back and some don't pay it back. But if I gift you money, then there's no strings attached. But the problem is if, I, if you let someone borrow money, oh, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back this weekend. I'll pay you back next week. right? Or I'll, or I'll pay you back when I get my paycheck. Right, and so they can kind of further and, and make it further and further along and, and string you out. Oh, I'll just pay you back. And ultimately, what happens is they're not going to pay you back. And then the relationship gets strained, and you get angry, and, and it's just it just causes a whole bunch of problems. And so, really, and this is the case here. So we don't know if the servant said, "Hey, I promise, King, I promise to pay you back. I promise, hey, this weekend, or or when I get paid." Or he continues to ask. Um, you know, somebody that in order for him to get the money, I, who knows? But what we do know this is the king has to get his money back and the king is going to do one thing. He's going to sell him, his family, and his children, and he's going to sell them. And then he's going to take his goods, everything that he owns, and he's going to sell those. So he's going to sell them into slavery, sell him all of his goods, all of his belongings, and hopefully he can get his money back. Hopefully he can get some of the debt back by doing that. Well, of course, the servant, knowing this, he responds. And here's how he responds in verse 27. So the servant's master, excuse me, at verse 26. At this, the servant falls on his knees. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. I'll pay back everything. So I'm pleading for my life. I'm begging you for mercy. I'm begging for an extension. Like, I could have told you tomorrow, tomorrow, the weekend. No, no, no. But now I'm begging for an extension. Can you do this? Will you do this? I'm calling out for mercy. And so he says something, again, that he cannot repay. He can't repay his debt. He makes a promise he can't keep. He makes a commitment he can't fulfill. And so as he does this, he knows this. The king knows this. Right? You can't fulfill this debt. It's a million dollars. This is several million dollars. There's no way you can do this. You're not a king. You're not of nobility. You're a servant. Because if you were able to pay this, you would have paid the king off a long time ago. And so now, knowing this, the king responds, and he says this in verse 27. He says, The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Think about that. He canceled his debt. A million dollars several million dollars and he says no you don't owe me nothing think about that for just one moment if you today the credit card company called you or the bank called you with your loan and they said hey 
I'm going to cancel your debt. You don't owe us nothing. You'd be like happy. I mean, I'd be happy. I'd rejoice if someone said, hey, you know what? You don't have to pay any more on your house. It's all free and clear. I'd be stoked. Like, I'd be happy. I'd be rejoicing. I'd be like just going down, you know, high-fiving people. I'd be excited. And if you're thinking this guy, look, at he's in several million dollars is canceled. Like, you don't owe me anything. Like, he has so much mercy on him. He says, just go. Just like, cancel your debt. You don't owe a single thing. But that's not what the servant does. See, you would think that the servant would be happy and rejoice and just go down the street, high-fiving people and doing all that, but he doesn't do that. Look what the servant does. It says this. He says in verse 28, Jesus, But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to what? Choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. So think about this. Instead of rejoicing and giving what he was given... He goes and tries to find a man who owes him money and says, you owe me money, pay me back now. And Jesus shows the contrast between the two debts. So a silver coin is, is a Roman denarii, and it's only worth 16 cents. right? So basically what this guy owes him is he owes him about 4000 to $5,000. Okay, so you see the contrast. four dollars to $5,000 compared to several million dollars. This gets canceled. This one doesn't. And so he goes after him and says, pay me back what you owe me. And again, the servant uh, that owes the $4,000 does exactly what the servant did of a million dollars. And look what it says here. He says, his fellow servant fell on his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. So again, he responds, the one that owes the 4000 responds the same way that the man with a million dollars responds. Have mercy on me, I beg you, I will pay you back. Now, $4,000 to $5,000 is more obtainable than paying off a million dollars. So when the guy says, he, say, he can think, yeah, 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 okay, no problem, I'll give you more time. Or he, he says, or I can cancel your debt. I just got my several million dollar debt canceled. I can cancel your debt. But he doesn't do that. Right, He acts completely different. He does not respond the way the king was responded to him. He doesn't respond with mercy the way the king showed him mercy. And here's what he says and how he responds in verse um, 30. But he refused. That's the first servant. And instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So instead of giving what he received, which is forgiveness, Debt canceled and mercy, he throws a man in jail. Throws him in jail. And here's what Jesus is trying to say in all this, is that forgiveness ought to be direct proportionate to the amount that is received. So if you receive forgiveness, you show forgiveness. And the amount you have been shown is the amount that you must dispense. And so Jesus makes this very clear because as Jesus came, he came for the whole entire world. Came for just not some, but many, and he came for all, and he died for, for everyone's sin. So again, he comes and, and pays the, the debt, and he's forgiven us, right, for everything. And so that's Jesus' point, like, I have forgiven you of everything, then you must forgive someone who has offended you. And so what he says to the believers and people who are listening and his audience and his followers and his disciples is that, look, 
the thing that's going to happen is, is people are going to offend you. People are going to hurt you. People are going to rub you the wrong way. And they're going to sin against you. And, and the reality is, is a must if you're going to be a believer, a must if you're going to be a Christian follower is this, that you forgive with everything within your heart. You don't harbor anything. And that was his point. This guy harbors this and, and holds it against his head. And Jesus says, no, with the, the grace and the mercy that was given to you, you dispense that same amount to somebody else. And then Jesus begins to, to talk and he, and he says in a story that the servants who were around saw this servant throw this man into jail. And when they saw this man get thrown into jail, they go, well, we're going to go report back to our king. So they go back to the king and here's what their master is going to do in verse 31. It says, then the master or the king called the servant in, the first servant who owed a million dollars, several million dollars. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Look at his response. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back everything and all that he owed. Simple question. Why didn't you respond the way I responded? I canceled your debt. I gave you mercy. Why didn't you show mercy to him? See, look, servant, I could have thrown you in jail. I could have split your family up. I could have thrown you in slavery. I could have sold all your goods. You would have had nothing. And yet I canceled your several million dollar debt. Why didn't you show the same mercy and grace and cancellation of debt that I did to you? Why? Why didn't you do that? He says, because you didn't do that, guess what? You're going to be thrown in jail to be tortured until you pay back everything. Which to me, I'm thinking that that guy's going to be in jail for his life. Because there's no way he's going to be able to pay back several million dollars. And so he's in, in prison. And then Jesus makes this, this point about his heavenly father in verse 35. He says this. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. See, there's an unbreakable connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of other people. There's an unbreakable connection. So God has forgiven us. We must forgive others. There's a connection there. And as Jesus would say this, the whole point is to get us back to the gospel message that he came to what? Forgive those to seek that which was saved those that were lost to forgive us of all our wrongdoings and that's kind of his his point here and the, it's a life-changing power of jesus and he says whatever is involved in your life whatever you find yourself in a problem in a situation where somebody has offended you he's saying as a believer as a person who follows me it's a must that you must choose forgiveness it is a must and so for a lot of us, you think about forgiveness, and some of us, it's difficult. See, instead of forgiving, what we would do is we'd rather carry around our baggage all day. Right? We'd rather carry our baggage. We'd rather carry this emotional hurt and pain and, and this bitterness and this anger towards someone or something. So Jesus is saying, well, look, all you have to do is just to get rid of that baggage, you got to forgive. But see, we would rather not forgive, and we'd rather walk around with this. 
and it's kind of invisible and nobody really knows, but we know. And some of us, it's weighing us down. But Jesus comes and he says, look, I want you to trade in that for something that I have to offer. And the, the point of, of Jesus is saying is this, that the weight of anger and bitterness, and when someone hurts you and someone bothers you, the weight of the anger and the bitterness and the resentment you have towards someone, Jesus says this, that I can trade it for freedom and peace. That you can trade this, this stuff, the anger and resentment and the bitterness for freedom and peace. And when you begin to understand that, that, that anger and bitterness, right, caused it causes sometimes for us to to get uh, upset it causes us to have resentment it causes us not to forgive and think about that servant who got his debt paid and it was completely gone and canceled and he goes out and he's kind of angry and he says you owe me something right he doesn't respond the way he needs to respond he doesn't respond the way jesus responds he doesn't respond the way the king responds he responds because his emotions are just kind of running wild. He's kind of upset and he's angry. You, you owe me. Look, he chokes the guy. Pay me back what you owe me. He's out of control. And I don't know what, what exactly is going on with that guy, but I do know this, that that servant did not forgive. And for some of us, you're in this spot today and someone has offended you, someone has bothered you, and you're harboring it, and it's hard for you to forgive. Then the reason why you say this is this. Well, I have a valid reason. And that is true. You might have a valid reason. And if we went out after service and we went out to lunch and I sat across from you, you said, but, but Joe, this is what they really have done to me. And it could be the worst story and, and it could be like horrible, horrible pain, emotional pain. It could do, it could be the worst story ever. And, and I get that. And, and then that's your reason, right? And it's a valid reason. But here's what ends up happening is when you have that, ultimately what happens is we start avoiding people and we stop dealing with the problem and stop dealing with the issue. See, what happens is, is when someone hurts you and you don't forgive, what happens is this is if you can, you will avoid them. Whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether whoever it is, what ends up happening is you tend to avoid them. And if you can't avoid them, then what do you do? You have to act civil with them, but you don't like it. And then if it's for some of us, our choice is this, that if we don't forgive and some of us are in this place, that we would just choose not to rather even talk to that person. So for some of you, you haven't talked to someone for a long, long period of time because of something they've done. And you reason in your head, well, it's valid. It's valid what they've done to me. And so what ends up happening is we push back saying, well, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. You don't know what they've done to me. They don't deserve it. And the reason why you say they don't deserve it is because they've offended you. And so you end up saying, you don't deserve it. So therefore, that's, that's what I think. And now what's going to happen is my, my reaction is going to be this. I'm going to hold a grudge. And I'm going to hold resentment. And we're not going to talk. And we're, not going, to, we're going to avoid each other. And anytime you're around that person, what ends up happening is you, you get this, um, I'm going to pay you back. Right? I'm going to, you, you reason in your head, well, it's revenge. I want to get them back. 
And then when revenge comes in and revenge settles in and then you get bitter and you get angry and then you get resentment, you have all those to, to revenge. And ultimately what happens is, is that you have feelings of hatred, you have feelings of getting and paying them back and they rise to the surface. Anytime you see that person, anytime you're in contact with a person, anytime someone reminds you of your past, what ends up happening is it comes to the surface and you don't want to deal with it and you get so angry and your emotions come to the surface and I'm not forgiving that person no matter what. I'm not doing that. And the reason we don't do that is because we don't dispense what has been given to us. See, Jesus has forgiven each and every one of us and yet He forgives us unconditionally but somehow when it comes to people we have conditions. See, what was given to us, we don't give back. See, we're like that first servant. We get paid a major debt, and all of a sudden, we don't release what has been given to us. Grace and mercy. And see, when we don't dispense forgiveness, here's what happens. We walk around with our baggage every day. And we walk around, and, and we are bitter. And bitterness becomes a root. And bitterness comes in and, and gets down within us. And, and in Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, and it's Paul's one of Paul's things that he tells us to remove. He says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. See, bitterness deals with an attitude, and it concludes with malice. Malice is evil, wickedness, and malice is, is that, that point where it's kind of the the... Just the pinnacle of all evil. It has no moral excellence. It is the opposite of that and virtue. And he says you need to get rid of this bitterness. And the, the word for bitterness, bitterness is extreme wickedness. See, a bitter root produces bitter fruit, and a bitter root produces bitter hatred. And Jesus says you need to get rid of your bitterness. You have to get rid of this. And so bitterness will not... It's, here's what you got to understand. Bitterness does not begin with bitterness. It begins with unforgiven pain. See, bitterness does not start with bitterness. It starts with unforgiven pain. And see, when we choose not to forgive, and we choose to hold that unforgiven pain, what ultimately happens is, is we are held captive by our emotions. We are held captive by our actions. And so all of a sudden, we're handcuffed with bitterness. And we can't live in freedom. We can't live in peace because we're so angry. We're so upset. And we have that extreme, extreme wickedness. We have that bitter root, which leads to bitter fruit, which leads to bitter hatred towards someone else. And we can't live in freedom and we can't live in peace if we're allowing bitterness to handcuff our lives. Just can't do it. And so we must choose to let go of offenses and cancel debt. And I just want to finish off one good story by, by Corey Tinboom, and, and she talks about really this idea of forgiveness. Now, Corey Tinboom was a survivor of a concentration camp, obviously, during the Holocaust, and she dedicated her life to traveling and preaching on forgiveness. And she told her life story uh, of losing her family members in the war, of how she became uh, a person who released bitterness and anger towards those who harmed her. And here's what she says in one of her stories. And she's quoted in one of, one of her, um, just kind of what she says. She says this, There is no pit so deep that God's love 
is not deeper still. And God will give us the love to be able to forgive our enemies. And then later in life, she meets one of her concentration camp guards. And when he attended one of her meetings, she was struggling graciously to forgive. See, she's talking about forgiveness. She's saying all this stuff and she is struggling to forgive. And then eventually she embraced and wept with him. And here's what she said. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Great words from a woman who is tortured, beat, loses her family members, and offers unconditional forgiveness to a man who did it or had a part in it. And she says what? It's not my own power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God who works in and through her life. And see, knowing this, knowing that we have commanded or knowing that we have to forgive, it's still another thing to do, isn't it? Something we all struggle with. It's something we all have issues with. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Encourage you to do this, that that person that that is offended you, that person has caused you emotional problems, that's probably you have hatred towards, that you have animosity towards. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to include them on your prayer list. Well, what does that mean? Start praying for them. I want you to start praying for them. Well, why? Because I'll I'll tell you what happens. When you start praying for that person, the Holy Spirit will begin to work on your life. And He works on your life and He begins to tear down your stuff in your heart. He begins to tear down those walls. He begins to tear down those things that are that are up and He begins to soften your heart. And as He softens your heart, you begin to say, okay, well, then I can release and begin to forgive this person. And the interesting thing is, is when you start praying for them too, you might end up blessing them. See, it's really interesting when you start praying for someone, you start blessing for them. Look, all of a sudden you're not so mad at them. And the Lord begins to work on you and the Holy Spirit begins to work on you and you're able to release that pain. Maybe years, maybe months, maybe weeks, days, you begin to release that pain. Because the Holy Spirit is working inside of you the way He worked inside of Corey Timbo. And God wants to do that for you and for me and begins to release bitterness that we hold so tightly. See, the, the Civil Aviation Organization is a group of engineers who determines how much weight can be on an airplane. They determine how much can be on domestic flights, and they determine how much can be on international flights. See, obviously this is necessary because of the flight and and the weight. But think about this. It is for that very reason, but how often do we walk through our world and our days willingly carrying weight we don't have to how often we walk through our lives with all this emotional baggage and this problems when we don't have to see bitterness bitterness and anger can stick around if we don't forgive and today god wants to release you 
from this emotional baggage, this anger, this resentment, and this bitterness. He wants to give you freedom, and he wants to give you free uh, peace. Excuse me. So you today forgive someone who owes you. You don't owe me anything. I cancel your debt. You don't owe me nothing. Begin to pray for that person. Maybe, maybe for you today, maybe you have to forgive yourself. Maybe some of you, you have to cancel debt to yourself because you feel like you can't go on because of something you did years ago. And you haven't forgiven yourself for it. Maybe that's where you are. But what I want you to know is I want you to get rid of the baggage that hinders you, that you carry around, and trade it in for freedom and for peace. Because why? The weight of anger and bitterness can be traded for freedom and peace in Jesus. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.